0: Amen. You may be, I would say, seated, but grab your Bibles and stand and turn with me to two places, well, actually, three places. Two that are in the Old Testament, one that is in the New. Uh, we're going we're to get to Revelation 3, but if you can turn, the first place is Genesis chapter 4. That'll be really easy to find. Genesis 4, first book of the Bible. The second one won't be as easy to find. Take the middle of your Bible and go right, and that's Ezekiel chapter 33. So Genesis 4, Ezekiel chapter 33. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We can put one in your hand. Glad to help out with that. And then lastly is Revelation 3. So Genesis 4, Ezekiel chapter 33 and Revelation chapter 3. Starting off with Genesis 4 uh, starting with verse 3. You probably have heard this before. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain it, Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain brought an offering of fruit to the, of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Now we don't have time to go through the rest of that story, but note that God respected Abel's offering, but he did not respect Cain's offering. Move over to Isaiah, I'm sorry, Ezekiel chapter 33. Ezekiel 33, picking it up with me in verse 31. Ezekiel 33, starting in verse 31. So they came to you as people do. They sit before you as my people, and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Keep this in mind when we get to Laodicea. But their hearts pursue their own gain. Indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song and one who has a pleasant voice. You know, sometimes people love to hear preachers preach. And a voice that can play well in an instrument, they love to hear worship leaders For they hear your words, but they do not do them. Ezekiel 33. Last place, Revelation chapter 3. Jesus speaking. Now Jesus is speaking in those those other passages as well because He is the Word. But Revelation 3, uh, we'll just read verses 7 through 13, then we'll read about Laodicea when I get to that section just for the sake of time. But picking it up with me on verse 7, Revelation chapter 3, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these things says he who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength. Isn't that great? God can do an open door for you that no person on earth can shut. You couldn't even shut it if you wanted wanted to. If God opens. For you have a little strength. You have kept my word and have not denied my name. Indeed I will make those of the synagogue of Satan. This is not a congregation you want to be a part of by the way. The synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not but a lie. Notice they're religious by the way. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet, and to know that I have loved you because you have kept my command to persevere. And I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world, which I believe that is speaking directly of the tribulation. To test those who dwell on the earth, behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God, the New Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father, we pray, Lord, this morning that we do have an ear to hear. Not just an ear that's there, but an ear to hear that hears down at the heart level. Lord, I need your help. I need your strength, Lord I can't do your words justice, but Lord I pray that you would anoint me, you would anoint these words, Lord that they would pierce hearts in a good way in a comfort way that's needed, in a correction way that's needed, in an encouraging way that's needed, Lord you know what each heart needs, in a salvation way that's needed. Lord we pray that you would do all this and far more you would increase, that we would decrease, Lord I would be removed as it were from the equation that these your people and those online would hear from you Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I wanted to read those other passages, Lord put them on my heart kind of after the fact, but uh, Lord put them on my heart to read those passages to let you know that from the very beginning our faith, our relationship with God is designed by God. Do we all understand that? That God, even at the very beginning, tells the, the little family of Adam, Eve, Cain, Abel here's what I want you to do. Here's what worship looks like. Here's what I'll accept. Here's what I won't accept. Here's what repentance looks like. Here's what resistance looks like. That's before Israel, way back in Genesis. Israel is not a country. Abraham's long ways, he's after the flood, well after the flood. There's no Israel at that time but yet God already had a little church. Abel was the faithful church, Cain was the completely apostate. He wanted to create his, uh, this is, God I'll give you the religion I design. Then you move forward, we read from Ezekiel. Ezekiel is the, now you have Israel as a nation. Once again, same problem. The people, we like the words, but we want to do our own thing. We like those are good words, those are pleasant words, we like these things, but we're going to just craft our own deal, if you will. Then we get to Revelation, post-Israel. Israel Israel is no longer a nation at that point. It's now a nation again, thanks thanks to 1948. Uh, But uh, it still hasn't come back under God's original plan, the covenant that was established with Abraham. Of course the covenant's still with God, but I'm saying that Israel, the fulfillment of what God wants to do with Israel won't come until now, the millennium reign of Christ. So now we're in the church age. And you have Jesus himself speaking directly to the church, which is comprised of both Jewish believers and Gentile believers. And he's speaking to the church and once again God is saying, this is what I will accept and this is what I won't accept. And I hope that you want what God wants to accept. Amen? Yeah. We had to, we, when we came to Christ, we accepted Christ, we say. We accepted Him as our Lord and Savior. Well, when you accept Him, you accept His way instead of your way. You kind of get off the throne, and He's now on the throne. So let's take a look at these final two churches this morning. We'll read about Laodicea, the, the final one, in just a few minutes. It's been well said, it's not how you start, but how you what? Finish. And Jesus loves you and me enough, and he loves every church fellowship that's been established in truth. He wants us to finish well. He he wants us to finish faithful. Some people get saved, and they're on fire for Christ. And then, sadly, they fade away. Some get saved, and they go in circles for months and years, and and then they finally get rooted. And they continue to steadily grow. Some start faithful and remain faithful all the way to the end. Like, you know, you see somebody like uh, Samuel, like that, right? Others do not. Same patterns found in churches. Some churches have started off well and then they don't even exist anymore. Some start off well and finish and, and they're still going strong. But Jesus desires that every believer and every church stays the course of faithfulness. I say all the time, you're going to hear me say it for as long as I'm here, you'll never hear when you get to heaven, good and perfect servant. You'll hear good and faithful servant. There's never been a perfect church, never been a perfect pastor, never been a perfect group of people, but there have been faithful people. Amen? Amen? Faithful is someone you could trust. Say, here's the key to our house, while we're out of town, if anything's needed, we can trust you. You only do that with faithful people. Jesus can entrust us with his word that we would be faithful with it. Amen? So how does one stay on the course of faithfulness? How does that happen? Well, we have a choice. It comes by staying the course of abiding in Christ, John chapter 15, obedient to his commands, yielding to his correction and his encouragement day by day, week by week, month by month. People can stay faithful for for a few days, but can you stay faithful for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years? As we saw last week in part one, the majority of the churches that Jesus addressed were not on the course of faithfulness anymore. Some were now completely defiled in despair. Some were even dead. We saw Sardis was a dead church even though it looked very much alive to themselves and everybody else. By way of brief review, we looked at five of the seven churches. I want you to notice that uh, as Jesus addresses these seven churches, he moves in exactly a clock uh, clock, uh, clockwise from Ephesus all the way to Laodicea, clockwise manner. Interesting, isn't it? That also may give us some insights that perhaps uh, that it really does speak to the seven church ages because it moves at a time, just like a clock. You see the hourglass there. Jesus has set a limit how long he will give any church to repent. How long he will give any person to repent. You you have an opportunity, you have a season, but he gives the time. Two churches, as you recall, receive no rebuke from Jesus whatsoever. They're just told to remain faithful. We saw the first last week in Smyrna, the suffering church. And we'll see the second this morning in Philadelphia. As you recall, five are told to repent. We looked at four of them last week. We'll look at the last one today in Laodicea. All five of these churches in their service and their worship, they bear Jesus' rebuke in Matthew fifteen eight, which is very similar to what we read in Ezekiel. These people draw near to me, with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their what? Their heart is far from me. Each of these churches in various ways having some external characteristics of Christ followers, but due to being callous and compromising and idolatrous and self-glorifying or apathetic, there's no purity, there's no power of the Holy Spirit. It's all self-propelled effort. That'll wear you out trying to self-propel yourself. You need the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit. Self-propelled effort is a term that I like to call Christianese. It's not a real word. Well, maybe it is now because anyone can make up their words on Twitter and whatever else you you have now. But uh, I call it using biblical and Christian terms and terminology in life and church and ministry, but no love and real passion for discipleship and for souls, no real love, passion for Jesus, Christian ease. There's a passage in the Bible that speaks directly to this, and it's found in Second Timothy 3:5, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. You know what the word denying actually means there? Resisting it. It's like God says, "I want to give Calvary Chapel Richmond power, and you say, "I don't want it. I like life the way I've designed it." And God says, but I want to give you the power. Have you seen Jesus' words in Acts 1-8? I'm going to give you power to be witnesses. It means to deny or to resist it. But Jesus has risen that we might have a genuine godliness. A genuine godliness, not a form of godliness. If you would have, um, if you would have lived in the time of Christ and you would have seen the Pharisees, they walked around like they were godly. But what do y'all think? You think they were godly? No. no. Matter of fact, anytime you meet someone that tries to act super godly, you can be pretty sure they're not godly. That kind of exterior piousness that I'm better than you is a turnoff to God. So Jesus was never impressed by the Pharisees and their outward exterior. And I'm not saying that, that people shouldn't be able to tell you're a believer, they should tell you're a believer by humility by love, by a genuineness, by a caring. But Jesus wants us to have a genuine godliness, supernatural power through the Holy Spirit. It comes through a humble surrender. Satan tries to sell us a counterfeit. While Jesus offers his church and disciples real life in him, Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and to have it more abundantly. Jesus wants me to know more of His abundance than I currently know, and more than you currently know. And that it grows as you grow in Him. Satan wants to say I'll give you a counterfeit, create your own little Christian world, your own little Christianese world, do your own thing, and you're headed for destruction in that way. So again today we have Jesus' warnings and his assessment of our life and the church. And what he says these final two churches, he's saying to all of us depending on where we're at. You saw the title I had up there earlier, Where Are We At? Part 2, Jesus examines and speaks to his church. So let's jump right back into Philadelphia, your Bibles open, back to verse 7 there. We see the angel, again is there an angel assigned to each church? I believe so. There's also a pastor of each church, these things says to he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David. You notice how many times that Jesus will reference God's original work with Israel and how He's blending that with the church because when we get to Heaven we'll be neither Jew nor Gentile, we will be one uh, but, but there was a purpose for Israel and so Jesus came from the seed of David, He has the throne of David, the key of David, Jesus the king of kings, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no, one's o- no one opens, I know your works. See I've set before you an open door and no one can shut it for you have a little strength have kept my word and not defiled my name. Indeed I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and not but liar. Indeed I will make them come and worship before your feet and know that I have loved you because you have kept by command to persevere, I will keep you from the hour of trial. I'll stop there. This church, Philadelphia, commended for their works, their reliance on Christ. And as they have very little strength and understood how weak they are, if I was to ask some of you this morning, some of you are fine with it, some of you are but I don't want anyone to know I'm weak. I don't want anyone to know that I'm not super strong. But some of you would be very honest. Some of you are like, I barely got here today. (laughs) Are you kidding? Some of you might say you're the weakest person in the room or online. The Church of Philadelphia, they weren't strong and they knew it. They were not strong physically. There was people that had it all together. They weren't strong and they knew they weren't strong. They truly believe the words of Jesus, John 15, 5, for without me you can do nothing. nothing." They actually believed that. They didn't think that there was anything good in them or noble in them or great and powerful and they were amazing. This is a church that's dependent on Jesus. Keep in mind, we look at Laodicea, they're the opposite of that. Jesus affirms their obedience to his commands, their perseverance in difficulty. Anyone can... <laughs> you, you don't want to go watch a movie where there's zero difficulty at all. The entire theme of the movie is nothing. <laughs> there's not a single problem to be solved. There's not a single anything. There's not a hero that's needed. It's just... What are we watching on Netflix tonight? The whole movie is just... It's pizza, it's Friday night, nothing wrong, everything's perfect. They didn't have that in Philadelphia. They were going through the ringer. They. Yet in all of that, Jesus said, "You've kept my command to persevere. You've kept hold of me. Remember the woman just wanted to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. She was convinced if I could just touch the hem of his garment, just a tiny, little, just a little like that, that I'm going to have strength that I currently don't have, and be healed. Remember she'd spent all this money. She couldn't find if I could just touch the hem of his garment. Philadelphia believed that they could just touch the hem of the garment. Jesus would keep them, and He would." He he commends their allegiance to his name, that they've not stained his name. Brother and sister, you don't want to stain the name of Jesus, do you? There's enough of that going around. Let it not be us. We can be assured that this is a church of, uh, I'm speaking of Philadelphia, of humble, obedient disciples, not churchgoers, not the make the church name awesome and famous, the dynamos over there at Sardis, right? They're moving and shaking. Making stuff happen. Philadelphia is substance over style, authenticity over an air of godliness, faith over a facade. Jesus says in verse 8, You've kept my word. You have to understand you cannot keep what you do not know and do not treasure. If this book of if the Bible that's in your hands, brothers and sisters, is not something you know and treasure you're in trouble. These men and women of the Word believed the Word and the Word was in them. And by the way, online and those of you here, it is impossible to be disciples without being in the Word of God daily. Let me say that again. It is impossible. Impossible. You can, be, you can still be saved, but if you, you cannot be a disciple of Jesus and not be in the Word daily would be the same as trying to operate your house without electricity. Just try it. You can go hit the circuit breaker and take the next five days off and just see how things go. And you'll wonder why the food is rotting in the fridge by the third or fourth day. Depending on. Try it in July and it won't even take that long, right? right. You need the Word of God daily in your life. Daily and around the world, uh, this is true of every Christian, the only time it would not be true is if you were in a place where you were deprived of the Bible. That's not this country. Amen? <laughs> and you would be surprised, our brothers and sisters in other countries, they know the Word so well they can quote entire chapters even if they're in a prison cell. Mm. So they still are in the Word daily, even without a physical Bible we're not deprived of a physical Bible so we have no excuse. Uh, Jesus said in John 8.31, if you abide in my Word, you are my disciples indeed. You'll never meet a disciple of Jesus that doesn't live in the Word. At least one that has access to a Bible. Most of us have access to three or four if not ten. Even if it's I'm, I'm encouraging you, if you're not in the Word daily let this be your starting point. And I think it's interesting. I meant to preach this message all the churches two weeks ago and then we had the virus thing and then we had to move it a week and I couldn't do it in one week, so I did it in two weeks. We're finishing today on March the seventh. Mm. Remember that seven is a very important number right. in the Book of Revelation. Used more times in the Book of Revelation than all the rest of the New Testament from Mark. I'm sorry, from Matthew all the way to Jude. More times in the Book of Revelation. Number seven. It's that completion. It's that uh, everything is fulfilled, and God wants you to to say. I'm going to start to be a completed disciple by being in the Word every day. You'd be better off reading two verses every morning than reading a chapter on Saturday and not reading it again until the following Saturday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Two verses you can meditate on. And just set aside, Lord, I'm going to set aside a couple of minutes of quiet time to hear from you and me talk to you and then, then get on with your day. Same with prayer. And this church's communion with Jesus, you know they had a prayer life that was strong because they were in fellowship with Jesus, in communion with Him. We'll take of communion later and it means that intimacy. But Jesus promised to love the church of Philadelphia, to open doors for them allowing new steps. Do you want God to open new doors for you? Do you need new doors opened? And I don't mean your doors, I mean doors that that you know are going to impact the kingdom of God or people that would come into the kingdom of God. He says he's going to keep them from judgment and the judgment that will be poured out on the whole world. I don't want to go through the tribulation period. Does anyone want to go through that? I've read the rest of the story. It's not good. The bowls, the seals, the trumpet judgments that are poured out, you do not want to be here for that. He says he's going to keep them from that. He promises, how about this, he promises to someday, he said that someday those that say they're Jews and are not, and by the way, we are now spiritual Israel in a sense, but there is still the physical Israel and then there's the, uh, we're grafted in, as Roman tells us, we're grafted into the olive branch. But there is a, all throughout time uh, there has always been a false church or a false teachers and false prophets and And he says, Those that say they're the synagogue, they say they're Jews, but they're really a synagogue of Satan. Jesus says, They truly are working for the devil and don't even know it. But Jesus says, There's going to come a time where I'm going to reverse everything. Philadelphia, you have a low esteem, kind of like Jesus was born where? In a manger. Bethlehem. But he will go to where? A great throne where he'll sit above all things. But when he was in Bethlehem in a manger, nobody, smelly little barn, no one cares. Uh, no one knew about it, but then every knee will eventually bow and every tongue will confess and he'll be high and lifted up. Well, he's saying to Philadelphia right now, you're a, no- you're a bunch of weak nobodies, but you're clinging to my hem of the garment. One day I'm going to flip it all and you're going to be on thrones and everybody else. Remember the rich man and Lazarus? Yeah. It all got flipped. And Life is but a vapor. The flip happens faster than you can think about it. So you want to be on the right side of this flip. And Philadelphia is. He says, I'm going to turn the tables. You're going to be on a throne. You won't be at the bottom. You'll be on thrones. Same with Smyrna. Uh, They didn't receive a rebuke, and Jesus told them, just stay faithful. These were the wise versions with the oil in their lamps. This is a church in Philadelphia that doesn't have anything in the way of popularity. There's no cool factor to Philadelphia. Their finances are tight but they're generous anyway. There's a simplicity, and authenticity. The lordship of Christ is definitive. It's it's clear that that Jesus is the shepherd of that church. They might have pastors and elders and deacons, but Jesus is the the center. The word is central. Prayer is essential. The gospel is still amazing to them. Boy, if the gospel is still not amazing to you, Lord, have, have Say, God, please, between now and Easter, make the gospel amazing to me again. The gospel is still amazing to them. Their love and care is evident. The grace and strength that they have received um, is evident that even though they're worn out and weak, they're still faithfully following Jesus, still being the hands and feet of Jesus. They're the kind of church that has slow, steady growth. Just slow and steady um, me and Zach were talking the other day and you know, you know, Zach served uh, about 11 years now in Asia and he, he's, he's telling me, he's like, you know, I've just come to realize I'm a plower. And, and I would say that I lean on the plower continuum too. I haven't seen just the massive, awesome, explosive, you know, but now that may come, but all we're told to do is just faithfully plant seeds. Plow, plow, plant, plow, plant. And that's what Philadelphia was doing. Remember of Sardis last week? Sardis had everything. They were amazing. They were famous. Their, their Instagram account was, the, was just the most awesome. <laughs> Sardis was famous, but Philadelphia was faithful. Sardis was famous, but Philadelphia was faithful. Uh, former President Theodore Roosevelt said, it is better to be faithful than famous. It, it's defi- this is definitely true in the, in the kingdom of God. In America you might get a lot more money if you're famous, but in God's economy it's far better to be faithful. He, only, he doesn't say well, well done, good and famous servant. Does he? Not right. <laughs> Jesus is not impressed by anyone's fame. He met Pilate and Herod, no big deal. He told them my kingdom is not of this world, it's way above yours. Clement of Alexandria said the faithful person lives constantly with God. And the reason why the faithful person lives constantly with God is they constantly need God. The reason why the faithful person lives constantly with God is they constantly need God. Your unsaved friends, neighbors, family members, they they don't think they need God. So that's why they don't live constantly with God. And they even wonder, why do you go to church every single week? there's like two holidays you need to go for. It's Christmas and Easter, and and other than that, and why would you watch a Wednesday night service at all? Why do you listen to to more teaching after you've already had teaching? (laughs) Because we're dependent on God. Philadelphia was dependent on God. I am more dependent on God than I am the little bit of breakfast I had this morning. I really am. More than my necessary food. If I don't have the Bible, I have a problem. But this was Philadelphia. Jesus says, look at we'll kind of wrap it up with them. Verse 12 He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem. Again, we see so much of God folding Israel into the church, the new Jerusalem, which comes out of heaven that John sees at the end of the book of Revelation. But Jesus is saying, just hold tight. It's 2021 you might see Jesus come back by 2031. Hold tight. Hold faithful. Don't be misled. Don't become like Sardis and do not become what we're about to read about Laodicea. He's saying just hold tight, stay faithful, and you'll overcome the evil one. You'll overcome your problems. You'll overcome through the blood of the Lamb, through the help of the Holy Spirit. Stay in His Word. Abide in His Word. Let's look at Laodicea. Pick it up with me in verse 14. And to the angel of the church of Laodicea, last church, last letter written here. And to the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, these things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness. I love these titles of Jesus. The beginning of the creation of God. I know your works. But remember this is not an apostle talking. This is the King of kings and Lord of lords. This is Jesus himself preaching the message. I mean I would just be slain on the ground. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. This is not sounding like a message that they want to hear here. I could wish you were cold or hot, but because you are lukewarm, so then because you are lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. This is not a passage most people have ever known that Jesus has said, but it's just as much as John 3.16. Because you say I am rich. Laodiceans, they had a lot of opulence. They had a lot of money. A lot of wealth. You say I am rich and have become wealthy in need of nothing. Do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel to you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke. And chastened, therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. For Laodicea, there's no commendation at all. There's no thumbs up at all. There's no, not even for their foundation, not even for the origination of the church, not even for their time in the past. Jesus gives no commendation, zero, nothing. Even for Sardis, he said, you have a few strength in what remains. He's not saying anything of commendation. They're cited for their glaring condition of perpetually lukewarm. You know that coffee that you you nuked and you forgot and you left in the microwave? You forgot all about it. You needed it so much that you forgot about it, that it was even there. And then you go back and find it, and it's, a, it's 60 degrees now. It's, it's neither hot, it's not cold. They were completely at ease. They liked Bible teaching. Understand, the Laodiceans liked Bible teaching, but they loved wealth. They liked Bible teaching, but they loved wealth. They loved possessions. They loved leisure. They loved kicking back. They, they, oh man! They they wanted to be on Caribbean life all the time. When you watch this on HGTV or stuff like that, they wanted just. I watch these families, and and I just gotta escape so I can live on a beach forever. That's what heaven's for. Right, 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 right. You're not called to sit on a beach forever. You're called to go reach people that are at the beach, reach people that are in the inner city, reach people in the rural areas, reach people wherever, but you're not called to forever have an umbrella and a glass with a lawn chair somewhere. But they like Bible teaching but they love their houses. They loved kind of constantly adding to everything. They loved doing remodels after remodel after remodel after new chariot after new chariot. They didn't have cars back then. <laughs> Horses, whatever it may be. They had no motivate. Laodicea had no motivation spiritually other than to live life with like-minded, lukewarm individuals. That was their motivation, to have other people that were lukewarm they had no, there was no mention, not even a mention of a few that were walking faithfully with Christ. None. Jesus mentions nobody, zero. Not the pastor. All the way down, nobody's mentioned as faithfully walking with him. The lukewarmness was so pervasive in Laodicea that the whole church was, was of the exact same condition. They were all completely aware that Jesus was outside the building. That he wasn't even in there. This is a church today, if you kind of contemporize this, this is a church today that might, might look like Sardis in the sense that Sardis was also big, successful. Laodicea was big and successful. They would look somewhat similar, but in, not in this manner. Uh, Laodicea was less motivated than Sardis. Sardis at least was a bunch of go-getters. Not in the spirit. It was all works and it was for their name, but they were busy about doing things. Churches like Sardis... Wrong intentions aside, at least churches like Sardis have a tenacious a tenacity to get things done, to be active, to get results. Now of course we don't want that either. That's works based and it's dead, which Jesus said. But Sardis was incredibly active, outreaches all kinds of stuff. The lukewarm church of today and them, the lukewarm church of today, it would find the comfortable comfortable zone of long-term reputation, ministry stability, solid teaching, a professional ministry staff that can handle a big percentage of all the workload, and plenty of money, lots of money coming in in tithes and offerings, plenty of money to fund a really big staff so almost everybody can be hearers rather than doers. The church is just—it's no different than the country club where you pay the dues, but you get Bible teaching. Lewis Neely, who is a pastor in Northern California, one of the Calvary Chapels out there called Warehouse Ministries, he said at one point—and they never—they never—they never never got like this massive staff—but he just realized, Lord broke him down one time. He said he just became, just kind of, tears coming down his face on his face for Lord God had told him, he goes, your staff is too big. You now wonder why the church is becoming lukewarm and because you have everyone is doing everything that's a paid employee so that there's not people they don't need to serve. Everything's already taken care of. And he said we had to, we had to shift that. Now understand, full-time servants and minister are absolutely needed. Uh, I'm fully supported by this church. Uh, we're actually below par. We need to get to two or three full-time, uh, we, we, we really do. And I hope that this year we start to move in that direction. Uh, but there's, there's a balance that God wants where everyone is literally part of rowing the boat across to the other side, as Jesus said. And everyone is part of doing the work of the kingdom of God. A percentage of the body needs to be 100% devoted to church ministry and making disciples. There always needs to be a percentage you know, you need to have. Jesus picked 12 and those 12 are to be full-time men. Amen? Amen. And not just them, but later there'd be a Timothy, there'd be a Titus, there has to be. And the Lord makes this clear in uh, 1 Corinthians 9-4, even so the Lord has not requested, not said hey it's a pretty good idea, He said He's commanded those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. That's why I had to leave my own former job in corporate America and be full-time in the ministry. I had to live it from the gospel as opposed to some other means. And so that's important. But the issue with Laodicea, um, and they had many issues in their lukewarmness, and the issue with Laodicea is they got to the place that they had everything they needed. You don't need to pray when you have everything you need, right? What? Who needs a prayer meeting? We have everything. Just stroke a check. Hire another guy. I was watching a church recently, and I, it just it it pained me when, when I heard him say this. He said, "You know, we we just recently we just brought in a consulting firm to help us figure out how what people to hire." Where is that in the Bible? Right, right. Big big successful church, and I'm like, oh, what do you mean a consulting firm? How about wonderful counselor? Right, 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 right. Jesus knows what you should hire, what you should be looking for. I, I couldn't believe it, but you know, um, I can believe it. And I, I like listening to this pastor. I, I like the teaching. It's solid. It's good. It, it just I, when I heard that, I was like, ah. It's just um, anyway. But Laodicea, they had everything. They had lost. They they didn't need anything. They didn't need God's help anymore. And they'd lost care for discipleship. They'd lost their love for Jesus. They had no need of fervent prayer. No need of the Lord. They had everything they needed materially. Psalm 73, 12, warns us, behold, these are the ungodly who are always at what? Ease. ease. God warns about people being always at ease. God does not want you always at ease. He wants you to work six days and the seventh day rest. Right, right. If one of those six days is you know doing all the stuff around the house, I get it, but God doesn't want, you know, it, it's not a good thing to get the place, so you know, I just want to be on permanent vacay and uh, I'd like to listen to Jack Hibbs or... Uh, Chuck Swindoll, or this person, uh, laying on a beach. No, no. You can take a rest. But you're not to live at ease. My former pastor in Charlotte said this often. He said his calling was to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. (laughs) Which was perfect in Charlotte. It was a banking town. We had guys that came to the church that got... Saved out of the Bank of America and First Union and all this other stuff, and uh, he said, "My job is to afflict the comfortable, but also comfort the afflicted." And Jesus tells, uh, he tells Sardis, "He's very close to spitting them out of his mouth. Mm. I'm close to vomiting you." He did not just say spit; it says vomiting you out of my mouth. Verses 16 through 18. You see, uh, Laodicea, rather than be dependent on Jesus as their shepherd, like Smyrna and Philadelphia, the Laodicean church was independent of Jesus. You get the difference? Brother and sister, you've been called in 2021 and the rest of your life to be dependent on the Lord, not to be independent. Before Christ, I was very independent. Matter of fact, God has had to bridle me down in any way, my wife can tell you, any way you can think of to make me dependent on the Lord. Because my natural inclination is not to be dependent. Amen? Amen? Last week, I broke down a little bit at the end. I don't really like that. But Jesus says, no, I want to make you dependent on me. Amen. Dependent on me. They were dependent. <coughs> Philadelphia was dependent. Laodicea was independent. The Lord was not their shepherd. Psalm 23 was not their psalm. That would have been Philadelphia... Uh, They would have said, we are our shepherds. We shall not want because our bank accounts and our material possessions are much. We we have everything we need. If they were a church today to contemporize again, Laodicea, the pastor would probably be a really well-established pastor and author. Maybe dozens of books. The worship would have been awesome and amazing. Very inspirational. Probably more traditional than Sardis, but not outdated. Mm -hmm. Because they don't miss much. They got the consulting firm to make sure they hit that sweet spot. Not as much lights, energy, and high tech as Sardis, but the service pre-pandemic was huge. But the prayer meeting is tiny, and the amount of people sharing their faith is tiny. And the amount of people making disciples is tiny. I know for a fact that a very large church somewhere in the south, and I knew several people on staff there, they said, you know, we You know, we're a massive church. We tried to do a discipleship and we had like 50 people show up. Laodicea. Nobody has time because, remember, the staff does all that. We come, our job is to listen. Not to do it, to listen. Here's the word. Everybody's busy. Not busy with like saving the world, just busy with another add-on to the house Another this, another that, go home, come back next Sunday, hear a good sermon, go home, live the good life, wait for next week, do it all over again, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. That was Laodicea. That's much of the church in America today. Winston Churchill, just before Britain started to get bombarded in World War II, he forewarned the people. He said, I must drop one word of caution for next to cowardice, which is much of the church today, and treachery, overconfidence leading to neglect and slothfulness is the worst of wartime crimes. He was saying, Look, you're going to get to a place where so you might get complacent. And Laodicea became very complacent and very satisfied. Instead of Jesus satisfying them, what they possessed satisfied them. Laodicea was probably a great-looking group of well-accomplished Christians. Their careers were great, their vocations were great, the letters on their walls were great. Typically their relationships were people of the same income level, same successful level. One of the things I noticed when I worked in corporate America is everyone that I knew that didn't know the Lord, all their friends were just like them. Whereas me in the church, I knew people that had no money, middle money, upper money, Black, white, Asian, Hispanic. My, my church family was all over the map. Where is. And if a church begins to reflect the world and they just look like each other in every way, shape, or form, this is not Jesus, I'm telling you. Amen. Amen. He breaks down all those economic strata walls and racial walls and socioeconomic and demographic. He breaks all that stuff down. But that's not Laodicea. They were insulated their own little world of we all have the same stuff, we have the same education, we have the same everything. Most of the body was probably living very clean lives but no interest in discipleship, no heart for the lost, no heart for prayer, no heart for revival, no willingness to sacrifice any time of self. We just hire another person. Which, If you get to the place you can just stroke a check for things, that's not That's not godly living. The temple had that. They had the benefactors. No time to give of themselves. They're the foolish virgins without the oil. Philadelphia was the wise virgins with the oil. This is the foolish virgins without the oil. And Christ rebukes them. Why? He says, "And many as I love I rebuke. He rebukes them because he wants them to be shaken out before it's too late. I don't even know, I mean I remember I, got, I, got, I forgot, I wasn't thinking about it, I forgot I got saved on this passage, and I, I mentioned that last week. But what is Jesus saying? It doesn't matter, He's saying repent. Can you lose your salvation? Can you not lose your salvation? Uh, I've never worried about that. I know that my name is sealed and written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I don't believe you can lose it, I can believe you never had it. But I do believe that those who are the the children of God will always hear His voice and respond to it and not say, "Uh, put the phone down, I'll answer this in about 20 years. Mm. Remember when Nathan approached David? David immediately said, whoa, (laughs) I need to get right with the Lord. Right? Right, Right? That's the way David responded because even though he was on the wrong place, he immediately took the counsel of God. But unbelievably, Jesus is on the outside of that church. He says, behold, I'm standing at the door and knocking. He's like knocking on the door, Laodicea, let me in. You think Jesus was offering them more gold when he said, they had a lot of gold. What gold was he talking about? He's talking about treasures in heaven. He's talking about souls. He was talking about spiritual treasure. They already had gold. They thought they had the best eye doctors. He says you can't see. They thought they had the best clothes. They were were buying on Rodeo Drive, if you will. And he's like, you need the garments that I and only I can give you. They had no idea Jesus on the outside. They were vastly misjudging what Jesus wants from them and what he wants for them. Jesus is not coming to condemn, he's coming to bring us into communion, into fellowship, into relationship with him. But Jesus has been patient with Laodicea and the American Laodicea. Alistair Begg up at Parkway Church in Cleveland, he said this, he said, God's patience with us is not permission. God's patience with us is not permission. He will be patient for a while but whom the Lord loves, some of you came from the old school when your parents would be patient only to a point. (laughs) (laughs) Only to a point. We need some more parents like that. Amen. We wouldn't have kids going all over the map like we do today. But Jesus is a good parent. I told the first service, and any of you that played sports, you knew that if you had a good coach, you would get corrected a lot. Right, right. A good coach will correct you. And you would then later say, That's one of the best coaches I ever had because he made me better or she made me better. You wouldn't say, But then people apply that to God and they get mad at God. How is that? Man, what I love about Mike Ditka, boy, he, mean, he set him straight. God, set, God, does not allow, God is not allowed to set me straight. <laughs> coaches can set me straight, but not the Lord. Uh, do you know Lord made coaches? Yeah, <laughs> you realize that, right? right? They're way down on the list uh, compared to the Creator. Jesus said, the firstborn of creation, the beginning of creation. His patience must not be understood. It must not be ignored. It must not be rejected. Amen? Amen. We love his patience, but we need to receive his patience. And I'll close with this verse, Romans two four. Do not, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, his forbearance, and long suffering? Not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. You can imagine what God could do with Leia to see if they got on fire for the Lord. God will use some of their funds, but they're not going to continue to build bigger barns for themselves and continue to lavish themselves and continue to just say, hey, hire someone else so we can just sit here and listen. No. God was going to stir them to be Philadelphia. And, and by the way, Laodicea, when they would come to their senses, recently me and, other, uh, our, me and about 10 other pastors, we've been helping you know, Pastor Dave Hansen of little tiny l- rural Louisa, that church has like no, no money. Dave still does a paper route, which drives me crazy. Um, but, uh, you know, we've been helping and we're going to get guys in the pulpit for, from now until because of Kim, she's down to 77 pounds. Jesus. And, you know, that, they, they need help. by the, These big, fabulous churches, when they would actually become Philadelphia, you will see them start helping other churches. Amen. Amen. Because it's one body, it's one body. That's what I believe Laodicea would say. Wow, we need to get, how can we go help Philadelphia? They are weak. How can we, we can put them up for a, a, a stay or whatever else. So God wants to do this work. Let's close in prayer. Father, we just bow before you. We know, Lord, you want from us what we see in Philadelphia dependence on you clinging to you. Maybe just hanging by a thread to the hem of your garment, but Lord, the hem of your garment is stronger than steel. It's stronger than any metal on earth. It's stronger than diamonds. Lord, just a touch of you can strengthen us. But Lord, on the flip side, all the other things will rot and corrupt and none of these earthly possessions will make it past the atmosphere, much less into heaven. And so Lord, we we come before you, we ask that you would examine us. Where are we at? Lord, where are we at? Not where someone else is at. I told the first service, you can just keep your eyes, head bowed for just a moment, you know, um, Solomon, when he was a young man, wanted God more than anything else. And then God gave him Everything. And then he had money, then he had wealth, then he had power. And what did he do? He got really sidetracked and started to fall in love with lots of wives, lots of possessions. He had total peace and prosperity, ruled the whole known world at that time with great power. And he lost his focus on God and he brought in idols. And the reason why Israel ends up getting carted away to Babylon and Assyria was Solomon. He destroyed the country. Now I believe Solomon came to his senses at the end of his life in Ecclesiastes, and he, I believe you'll see Solomon in heaven. But he'll be the first to tell you, I destroyed a nation with my lukewarm living that then became total idolatrous living. And then we see in our own lifetime, you know, right now, and you know, I mentioned last week, you know, I love, I used to, I love the ministry of Ravi Zacharias. I love what God's done at Liberty University, and, but yet there's been some problems with leaders. And I got saved at a church that our pastor took, completely walked away from the Lord because the ministry got so big and so successful that people stopped depending on God. Amen? I so, well, I don't have to worry about that because I'm just little old me. I don't have a big ministry. That still doesn't matter. Are you depending on God or are you depending on yourself? Right. Are you depending on your employer? Are you depending on it? It's still the same. God says... Do you love me or do you love your own way? We need to be like Abel, not Cain. Whatever God says, whatever he pinpoints, whatever he inspects, whatever he says, this needs to be adjusted, this needs to be yielded, this needs to be confessed, this needs to be... Then we say, yes, Lord. Amen? Amen. So you have to ask yourself, Lord, am am I Philadelphia or am I Laodicea? And I find that you might say, I'm actually not Laodicea and I'm not Philadelphia. I'm somewhere in the middle. You ever felt that? I'm neither one. I'm more than I'm better than lukewarm, but I'm not on fire like Philadelphia either. Lord, just ask God to show you those areas that are hindering you to be faithful to Him. Say, Lord, I confess them. So your head's bowed. If there's anyone here that doesn't know Jesus, their Lord and Savior. You've never asked him to cleanse you from your sins. You're not not ready to meet him if he comes. I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Is there anyone at all? This message has been to the church, but I see that hand. Thank you, Jesus. Anyone else? It doesn't matter if you go to church, if you're not in the church. Church of Jesus, you've not been saved. You've not been washed by the blood of the Lamb. Your sins forgiven. Anyone else? Just raise your hand. God wants to change you forever. You can't buy salvation. You can only receive it. Anyone online? I can't see you, but I'm going to pray. And if you, if that's you, and you say, "I want to give my life to Christ," just in your words, you can follow mine. But just in your heart, it's the Bible says to confess with the mouth and believe in the heart. Now that he's raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And God is faithful. He does not lie. He will save you to the uttermost. Yes, Lord. Just pray, Lord Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for living a sinless life. Thank you for preaching the everlasting gospel. Thank you for showing me my sins and that I am a sinner. And I confess, Lord, all of my sins that I've broken your commandments. Please wash me, cleanse me, forgive me, for I've decided this day to follow you, Jesus, for the rest of my life. Write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. This day forward, Lord, I will follow you by your grace because of your mercy. Thank you for saving me and washing me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You can clap for that. That's. uh... Swan's going to play quietly. Just talk to the Lord yourself and say, Lord, Philadelphia, Laodicea, somewhere in the middle, somewhere on the continuum, and then we'll take the Lord's Supper together. Wherever Wherever he shows you, say, Lord, I yield that to you. I confess it. I turn it over. I don't want to be with you outside knocking. I want you inside living as Lord of my life.